What a song. Man. Seeing this uh, simple chorus, some of you may know it. We're still passing the offering, I get it, but uh, there's something just to that song. They sing, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O oh, my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King. In what you hear, may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ears. Sing one more time. I love you, Lord, and I live. sing of your love, how can we not sing our love back? How deep the Father's love. Lord, I, if anything happens today, it would be just that we would encounter your love and know we're loved. To know you love us Thank you so much, Jesus. Lord, would you lead these few minutes we have with you and each other and lead our hearts? Amen. We're in uh, the book of Romans, been going through it a couple weeks ago. We, we jumped back in. Oh, just this, um, a few weeks ago I said we were $17,000 ahead. Um, that was a bit of fake news. Um, so uh, I was given some figures and then uh, given some new figures the following day. So... Uh, so that's what happened. It was, uh, 
miscommunication there. We're not $70,000 ahead, but uh, we're still doing great. God's in this thing, so just want to let you know that um, if you're looking at the bulletin going, wow, um, it's a little bit different. So uh, two weeks ago, we, were, we jumped back into Romans and uh, kind of caught up to speed on, on Romans, and I used a, a passage out of Matthew where Jesus talks about the dirge and the dance, and, and the dirge being really like the first three chapters or two and a half chapters, if you would, uh, of Romans, where it's, it's a, this heavy message of there is no one righteous, not even one. All have turned away. There is no one that seeks God. There is no one who does good, right? Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God and is facing judgment. That, that's the heavy song of judgment that is coming. And, and, and then the, the other side of it is this dance, which is, seems impossibly true. No, no way could this be true, of we could be saved through faith in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. And, and, and that just seems too good to be true for anyone. There, there is no difference. Anyone in the world, this is open to. And Jesus is this sacrifice of atonement we just sung about in that song, how deep the Father's love, and, and verse by verse. And, and that's the dance because it's this amazing song of salvation and restoration to, to all who believe. And this world looks at that and goes, that's just too easy, or that's too fantastical. No way, that's a fairy tale. That can't be true either. And, and so today we pick up in Romans 3, uh, after Paul has just written in verse, uh, verse 21, I'll start in verse 21, Paul says, but now, now that he's talking about the dance, really, he says, but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented them as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did it to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice so as to be just and to justify those who have faith in Jesus. You know, when I was in Zambia back in February, um, we spent a couple days with this guy named Hannes, and uh, um, South African guy, family was from Zambia, South Africa, both, both places. Um, so speaks English, he speaks all kinds of languages. Anyway, he took us around, and, and, and he's an architect builder, and he uses this to leverage for the kingdom of God and, and reach people for Christ that way in, his, in the business world. And uh, he had one job where he was going through this rough neighborhood, and, and you can't go fast at all because the roads are, are really bad. And he was at this job site for quite a few months. And what happened very early on, like the first or second day, this little six-year-old girl jumped on the running boards of his Land Cruiser and would just hang there, arm inside the driver's side window, and they would just talk as he kind of meandered through the neighborhood getting to his job site. 
And then when he would get out of the car, she would just jump into his arm and he would just carry her around the job site as he was telling his guys what to do and leading it. And he says, it became our little tradition. We did this day after day. Every time I would go out there, she would jump. She would be waiting for me in the morning early for my little land cruiser and jump on there and we'd just do our little conversation and I would carry her around the job site. And she said, we just developed this friendship over time. And apart from that, he was also working with the guy trying to get this job site done. He had no idea that that guy was actually her father. Until one day, um, he came banging on the door 5 a.m. in the morning, and uh, this little girl was covered in blood. And they found out very quickly that he was an alcoholic. And she had gone wandering the streets, six or seven years old at night, trying to find her dad. And a man had abducted her and hurt her in horrible ways. And, and they put this whole story together during that time. And um, as the months progressed, they ended up having her come live with her, with themselves. And she started to thrive and started to just take off. And that was back in 2010. And about two and a half years ago, when she's around 11 years old, she all of a sudden started to lie. They caught her in lies, like every day they were catching her in lies. And then they started to notice that things were missing in their homes, valuable things. And then they caught her stealing a couple different times. And, and they knew there was more things she was taking. This happened over a year, and they were confronting her and trying to help her and trying to get to stop. And so what is this? It's so uncharacteristic of who she was, but she all of a sudden was turning this switch and becoming someone different, and they're like, wow, you know, this is, it's awful. It got to the point where they actually had to say, look, you need to go stay with your dad, because this, this can't, we can't have this going on, and she would not stop. She's devastated. She still came during the days because Hannes's wife would homeschool her, and, and this went on for, for some time. Um, this arrangement, and, and what made it more difficult is people in the community saw what was happening, and they were just incensed and outraged, and they didn't know what had happened, and Hannes has a couple younger kids, and those kids didn't know what had happened, and they weren't going to go around and tell anybody this because they, they loved her. Her name was Margaret, and uh, one day it just, Hannes had had it, long day, bad day, and he comes home, and the kids are all laughing and playing with Margaret, and everybody's happy. Margaret's happy. They're happy, but these kids don't know the truth, and, and Margaret's over here, and he's done this, he's thrown this grenade in their lives and broke their hearts a number of times over the past year, and he just lets her have it. And she's 11 and a half years old and just crushes her. And she goes out of the room, talks, you know, his wife takes her out of the room, and she's sobbing, and, and Hannes cools off, goes back there into the room, and, and Margaret looks at Hannes and says, I need to tell you something, but you have to promise me you'll protect me. And Hannes is like, what? He says, I need to tell you something, but you have to promise me. I won't tell it until you promise me you'll protect me. And I was like, of course I will. She's like, no, promise. And he goes, I promise. Come to find out, her dad would beat her every time she came home without money from their house. He forced her to steal from them and threatened to kill her if she ever told anybody. And she's in tears, sobbing. And of course, at that point, Hannes, he says, I was the worst father on the planet. 
when I heard all this? He says, I had no idea what was going on. No idea. And you don't know what you don't know. But he's like, it was the worst, one of the worst moments of my life, realizing what had been going on this whole time. Sometimes, I don't think sometimes, I think a lot of times, we think life revolves around us. We think that we're the center of everything and, and what we see and what we hear and what we feel or whatever is truly what is really going on. And as Christians, we struggle with this. Those who don't even know God, it's even a greater struggle. How, how is it possible that I am not the center of this universe and, and I'm the, the point and it's all about me? And, and the secular mind for sure thinks it's absolutely fantastical to think that there's a story or that, that there's someone out there that my life literally has to revolve around. And we as Christians, even though we understand this, that our lives does revolve around a, a bigger story and someone who's far greater than us, we still drift into this thinking that it, it's us and it's only what we see and perceive and we go in and I, inside and outside of that understanding. We think we're the main character. And, and what's hard is you read through Romans, and especially Romans 3, where God sends his son, the father sends his son for us, and we sing this song, and, and it does feel about us, right? Like there's something about it where God loves us, and, he's, he's, and it feels like you can, you can almost say, well, yeah, we're in the center of it, but it's not that we're in the center of it, he's, he's pulled us into the center of it. And what if, though, that's not the main story. God pulling us in. What if there's another story that's even more significant? One that we may never have realized. You don't know sometimes what you don't know. God presents Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. We get that. We talked about that. But that's not the entire story. He goes on and he says this. He did it to demonstrate his justice. He did it to demonstrate his justice. So, was God having a problem demonstrating his justice? Was there a, a lack of demonstration of his justice? I mean, what does that mean? He, he presents Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement to demonstrate his justice. Why would God have to demonstrate he's just? God, I guess, somehow was not demonstrating that, or he was getting a reputation for not being just? I mean, where does that come from? It's interesting if you start to read about this and think, I mean, this is, this is fascinating to me. Go back to 2 Samuel. Jesus is just confronted, uh, Jesus, David, King David is just confronted by the prophet Nathan. 
David had committed adultery. Actually, before that, David had refused to go to war and leave with his army, which was a, disobedient, was a direct disobedience of God's order. He was supposed to lead the army. He didn't go. He stayed home. He commits adultery. He tries to hide it. And then he kills someone. He murders that woman's husband. And Nathan finally comes and confronts him with all of this. And before David ever confesses, before David ever does a sacrifice, Nathan says this. To David, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. What? How is that just? How is that fair? Leviticus says this very clearly. In chapter 24, 17, anyone who takes the life of a human being or murder is to be killed. This is God's law, and Nathan says, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. Well, that's not just. David actually writes about this in Psalm 103, and he says this specifically. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Now, it makes sense that he wrote this, but what he does is he brings the plural us in. Y'all, we all, he does not deal with us according to what our sins deserve. Us. And he's saying this is actually a pattern where God does not bring justice. That's a real problem. And it's not just an Old Testament thing. Go into Acts and you see it there. Acts chapter 17 says God overlooked their sin referring to people who lived long before Jesus. So he did this to demonstrate his justice because the problem was he wasn't showing his justice. Stop and think about that. If God does not deal with people according to what their sins demand, nor does he pay out or did he pay out the justice according to the sins they were committing, then God has a justice problem. And not only that, he was doing it year after year, sin after sin, right? Day after day, month after month, year after year, century after century, millennia after millennia. And and what's starting to happen is the charges against God are starting to pile up because people who don't follow God and even people who were following God were saying, where is the justice? People were slandering him saying God's not just. You know, when we tell the story of Jesus, we often tell it, most of the time we tell it from our perspective. It's always about us, which is very true, but how many of us have heard this part of the story about God's reputation? Who's heard about God at the center who put his own reputation and glory on the line for thousands and thousands of years and tolerated the slander for all those years. That's why Paul wrote this, God in his forbearance. That's a big word. Forbearance, restraint, patience, tolerance. Imagine the the threshold. He has a high threshold, a high forbearance factor. 
He put up with the slander and the accusations against his reputation. But not only that, he put up with all of this stuff not being dealt with all those years. That's forbearance. It's the double insult, right? I mean, God, his glory, like if he showed us his glory, if we saw him right now, we'd be wiped out. That's, that's how just incredibly intense, amazing, powerful, holy, pure he is. And yet, he had to hear people who fell short of his glory, far from his glory, despise him and slander him. You know, when Margaret finally told Hannes and his wife what had been going on, they called the authorities, and that shifted things into gear uh, towards full adoption for them. And they ended up having this meeting with the authorities and Hannes and his wife and Margaret and actually her father. And they confronted him on all this stuff, and, and he actually denied, denied, denied until Margaret stood up. An 11-year-old standing up to her father and saying, I told them everything. And father shut his mouth. Didn't say a word after that. And Hannes, um, I don't know if I should tell this part, but this is Hannes. You got to know Hannes. He said, according to the law, he looked at this, this man, and he said, according to Zambian law, she is now my daughter. If you touch her ever again, I will come, and I will have the right, according to Zambian law, to come and kill you, and I will. And his wife later is like, what in the world were you saying? You never hurt him. He's like, he doesn't know that. <laughs> Isn't that cool? In that moment, you know, she's 14 now. She's at a, it's a boarding school, thriving, just thriving. And it, it's amazing what God has done. About six months later, she was, uh, they were in a church service. Um, her mom now um, singing on the worship team, singing the song, Draw Me Close. And she just felt like God was saying, I want you so close to me. And, and, and she just told Hannes, I want to get baptized because I, I want to be filled with the Spirit like the Bible says. And I want to be that close to God. I want to be, I just hear him saying, draw me close, like he wants me to come close. This is what God does, right? Such an amazing story. Who here knows what God has done. There are, there are things to our God that are so deep. And just when you think you know and you've reached it, he says, oh, I'm deeper still. He, Paul says he, he presented Jesus, God the Father presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood, and he did it demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, and he, he did it 
so as to be ju- or to demonstrate his justice in the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And, and it's, it's amazing when you start to put this together and you look at the story and it's, it's all about him and it's focused on him. And he says, I want this world to know I am just. Don't miss this. Just because I have forbearance and I have restraint and tolerance and will allow this to happen, I am just. Don't ever forget that. And and God poured out his wrath. I mean, you think about not just a sin, but the sin of all mankind poured out the judgment of God's justice on Jesus. He demonstrated to this world he was just. It's so hard for me. I mean, I have said this sometimes, less so as I grow older and older, a whole lot less. I can't imagine the father hearing even a Christian going, God is so not fair. Like, really? Are you really at the center of this story? Have you heard about the cross? The wrath of God poured out on his son. He is just. He is fair. And Christ took the penalty of your sin and my sin and the sin of this entire world. Oh, he's just. You're just not at the center of this. And you don't understand it. But don't slander the Lord and accuse him of being unfair and unjust. He's at the center of this story. And what's amazing is you read the story. It's not only that he's just, and and Jesus, you want to talk about something that's so unfair, he takes all of that, and that's why he said, justified by his grace. I mean, what kind of grace is that? So he takes all the justice of God on himself, and then resurrects, raised from the dead, and now offers us justification. What? What? That's so not fair (laughs) from God's perspective. That's grace. That's grace. He pulls me in and he pulls you into the middle of the story to his heart. Pulls us in. I mean, what... I think what starts to happen the longer we journey, read, read this and hear this verse, these verses, there's a part of me, I, I just, if I, as I've been kind of just swimming in this the last few weeks, I just, I'm like, Lord, I had no idea. I had no idea. Like, I didn't know. Like, I, I knew, but I didn't know. I had no idea that that's the kind of justice you had. Like, it, it goes that deep. I had no idea that you really mean, like, I, I can be totally made righteous in you. Like, what? I didn't know. I didn't know to what extent you would go. I didn't know. I didn't know you were the sinner like you were the sinner. I didn't know you were that just. Never to be accused of being unjust. 
You put up with this for how many years? I had no idea your grace. Like, I mean, I knew, but I didn't know. What person wouldn't want, and, and, and so many of us have been blessed with parents and grown up in homes where mom and dad are there and just that protection. But there's something inside of all of us that wants to know, not that he would go do it, but that dad would take care of us like that and sit across the table from somebody and say, you will never, ever harm my child again. And that's what God says. I offer you this. You come to me and receive me by faith. I will never let you come to harm, that soul harm. You will be protected forever, that soul. It says this is by grace through faith. God in his forbearance restraint patience I think God would want us to know that he is still this God who has forbearance and he's not I I just think the, the misconception so often of God is he's just out to just hammer people. He, he wasn't. He isn't. He is out to love people. I invite the team to come up. We're going to celebrate communion. And, and celebrate is right. He's pulled us into this story of his. As we go through this time, um, if you believe, like Paul says, if you have faith in Jesus and his sacrifice, his death on the cross for you, uh, and resurrection, we'd love to have you be a part of this, whether Freshwater is your home or not. If, if you haven't made that decision about Christ, we'd ask you to just hold back from taking uh, the bread and, and the cup here because um, it is something that's just so sacred to us. It's sacred to God. Um, and I know we have people come from all kinds of backgrounds, uh, Catholic and Lutheran and everything, and, and we, we take it all together at the end. There's, there's not a right way to do this, but that's just kind of how we do it here. So uh, we'll pass all this out and take this at the end. And this time here, I invite those who are serving to come down. But this time is a time to just uh, reflect on what Christ has done and to say thank you and, and to tell him again, I love you. Um, to just sit back and, and just accept his grace again and his love, his forgiveness. And we'll, we'll take this at the end once it's all passed out.